All right, may you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And let's get to verse 26. Let me just check before we keep going here. I, I can't hear myself that much. Is the volume okay back there? You guys all right? How about you folks back there? You're okay? You can hear it? Good. Luke chapter 9 and verse 46, continuing on with our series, going through the gospel of Luke verse by verse. Today we're going to deal with a short passage and talk about greatness, and uh, the title of the sermon is Greatness Redefined. Greatness Redefined, you'll see the disciples had one idea of how it might work, and then Jesus will clue them in as to how it truly does. In Luke 9 verse 46, the Bible says, Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. That being said, let's bow our heads and let's ask God to help us, please. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as any time we open the Scripture, we need the Spirit of God to guide us into all truth. Lord, I'm asking for, for unction from on high, from, for your anointing, for your hand to be on me as I say these things, but Lord, also for the ears of the hearers, might they be open, might the ground of their heart be soft, Lord, might the seed fall deep and bring forth fruit in due time. Please meet with us this morning, Lord, thank you for this privilege of owning a Bible, and getting to hear from you through it, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. In, in this chapter, I think you're familiar now, we've been in chapter 9 for several weeks. Last Sunday, we talked about how they had faulty faith. I want you to just bear that in mind, that this conversation, this disputation that the disciples are having, it comes on the heels of them having uh, a whoops moment, <laughs> They failed the Lord, but Jesus said, guys, listen, this happened because of your unbelief, true, but I'm not done with you. L let me say it to you again, and he retaught them certain truths that they needed to hear and reassured them that you can indeed minister in my name, and just because this didn't work out, guys, just be patient. Sometimes you need prayer and fasting. Sometimes it's not an immediate once-off thing and it's done. And with that encouragement, these disciples get excited and say, hey, man, we can do this. We can serve the Lord. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said that if we had faith like a grain of mustard seed, we could move mountains. Now, I'm not quite sure how this conversation, can I use the word evolved? How it went from talking about what they just learned from Jesus to, hey, he said we can move mountains. And, and then it turns into, well, if, if Jesus still believes we can minister and we can move mountains, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move the biggest mountain there is. And then the next guy says, no, 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 I'm going to move a bigger mountain. And it becomes a one-upsman type of conversation. Uh, uh, let's give the disciples a little bit of credit. I know when you look at verse 46, you may not see anything good about what they're doing, right? It, it seems almost childish what they're doing. But let's give them a little bit of credit here. They're not quitting. We can say this about the apostles, they're a resilient bunch. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've just made a mess. 
And yet, Jesus, slightly frustrated with them, but nevertheless, not giving up on them. Many of us, when we make a mistake, especially if it's of a substantial nature and it's public, right? Because what they did, the scribes had come in on it. The, the, the dad was distressed. It looked bad. It was a public disgrace. They could easily have been very hard on themselves and said, guys, let's, let's avoid making that mistake again. Let's not try anymore. And many people, because of one or two setbacks, give up on living a full Christian life. They figure, I'm just not that good at this. This is not what I'm cut out for. But not this bunch. They were resilient. Sometimes you just need to get up and move on. And that's what they did. Problem here is, they moved on a little too far. (laughs) They moved on a little too fast. They got ahead of themselves. They start discussing, okay, we're not so bad, so let's be great. The problem here is their definition of greatness. They were going about greatness, trying to achieve it and approaching it like the world would consider greatness, and Jesus is going to need to redefine greatness for them. Which leads me to say one more thing about the disciples that I think stands in their favor. They're resilient, they bounced back, they got up and moved on, but they also had spiritual ambition. Verse 46, they they were talking about who's going to be the greatest. Now, let's be careful with this term, spiritual ambition, right? Because that can be a bad thing. That can be very dangerous. The devil has spiritual ambition, does he not? I shall be like the Most High. I will ascend above the stars. He has all these great plans for himself, but notice the plans are for himself. And that's the, the danger of spiritual ambition. When you want to do something for God so that you can be recognized that you did it for God. Does that make sense? Remember Jesus talked about if you give, don't blow the trumpet. When you pray, you shouldn't do it to be seen of men. When you fast, don't walk around all hunched over and with dirt on your face. Just clean yourself up and go about your business. You're not fasting to be seen of men. You're not praying, preaching, giving, whatever it is, to be seen of men. So that kind of spiritual ambition can be dangerous, but... If God has set a mark and said, this is what I'd like for you to achieve. This is my plan for your life, my purpose. I want you to get from here to there. And now you go about giving your very best effort to hit that mark. That type of spiritual ambition, you see the end goal is not to, to have everybody applaud and recognize what you've done. Rather, God, you set the mark. I want to touch that mark because it will touch your heart. It'll make you happy, God. And if I get recognized for it or not, that's not the point. That's the farthest thing from my mind. But because God has given me something to do, I want to do it with all my might. That type of spiritual ambition, would to God we all had a big dose of that. So these gentlemen, they have spiritual ambition, but it just needs to be re-guided. If I can say it like that, it's pointing in one way, it needs to be redirected, maybe a better way to say it. You know, the Apostle Paul, he says if if somebody's running in a race, he runs all, right? And he says, so run that you may obtain. We're in this Christian race, we're supposed to run all, give it your best. That's spiritual ambition, the good kind. Paul said in that same passage that we should strive for the mastery, 
to try to do this right. In Philippians, he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, resilience, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's spiritual ambition. We should, folks, be running with our all, striving for the mastery, reaching forth, pressing toward the mark of the prize of fulfilling the will of God for our individual, individual lives. We need that kind of spiritual ambition. These guys had it. It was just immature, misguided, and I think this is the proper term given the passage, childish. Do you see the connection? Jesus is going to bring a little child into the picture. <laughs> Say, guys, l- let me show you <laughs> kind of where you're going with this. Jesus is very crafty that way. <laughs> he always knows how to get our attention and how to get the point across. What these guys have is zeal without knowledge. Right? Zeal without knowledge. That, that is not necessarily a good thing, but you can work with that. Because if the guy has zeal, then he's already striving, he's willing to put forth the effort, all you need to do is download some information and he can run with it. That is far better than, de- than, than flipping that around and giving somebody knowledge, but they have no zeal. That is very difficult to work with. Let me set the scene as best I can for you in the passage here. Verse 46, there arose a reasoning among them. In Matthew and Mark, they talked about how they disputed, especially Mark. They were arguing which of them should be greatest. Verse 47, and Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart. Now Luke gives us the most condensed version of this story. And God help me, I was very tempted to take you through Matthew, Mark, and Luke and give you the full version, but There's a lot to it. So rather, I'm just going to focus my attention on only what's written here. But I'll try to make some allusion to the other places as well that give us the full story. Because there's a lot of good stuff to learn here from this passage. What happens is Jesus has, they're, they're moving on. They're walking down the path. They're heading towards Capernaum. And as they're going, the 12 are talking amongst themselves. Jesus is off at a distance, but can hear what they're saying. But he's not standing in the middle of them. But he knows what's going on. Even though you may not feel Jesus right in the midst of you, he knows what's going on. He not only knows what you're saying from a distance, he perceives the thought of your heart. He he knows not only what you're saying, but why you're saying it. Why you're reasoning, why you're arguing that particular point. So they're walking down the path, they're going about it, I'm better than this and you're better than that and back and forth and Jesus just lets them go. They get to the house, they walk in the house and they're, you know, just getting settled in and Jesus says, hey guys, I overheard a line or two of that conversation you were having, what were you guys talking about? And the Bible says, I believe it, I think it's in Mark, they fell quiet, they just Oh boy, <laughs> Jesus, we'd really rather not say. I mean, we're a little bit, a little bit ashamed because they know this is a childish conversation. They hang their heads for a bit and Jesus says, guys, come on, I'm just trying to help. What, what is it? And then Matthew's gospel says one of them, somebody speaks up and says, okay, okay, okay. 
Jesus, let's put the question to you and you can settle the argument. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And that's when Jesus took that child and brought him into the midst. You say, what was the name of the child? That's the whole point of the story. We don't know. (laughs) It was just a child. Old enough, I would say, to believe because later on in the same conversation, Jesus said, be very careful not to offend one of these little ones which believe in me. Right? So that gives us an idea that the child was not a toddler, but old enough to know this is Jesus, the Son of God, and that child was a believer as much as a believer can be. Jesus, who is the greatest? Jesus then brings this child forth and gives them an answer they were not expecting. How many times have you prayed or maybe come to church or maybe just life? You're just trying to watch God work and God does something you're not expecting. Isn't that normally what happens? (laughs) Isn't it very rarely that you go, "Ah, that's exactly what I thought God would do. (laughs) I had the Lord figured out. I mean, that's rarely how it works. You know, the disciples have so much to learn. Here they are talking about which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and they are so far off the mark. Do you see how that translates to our situation today? Here we are, we've been walking for the Lord for whatever, X amount of years, we have so much more to learn. And I don't mean that in a condemning way, that's just part of being one of Christ's disciples. The word disciple means learner. Might we ever be a learner? My pastor that taught me in Bible school, he, by the time I got there, he'd been teaching for over 50 years. And I remember him saying on many occasions, God helped me never to become a teacher of the Bible, but rather a student of the Bible. There's always so much to figure out and learn. Jesus now brings this child into the picture. Verse 47, took a child, set him by him. In one of the other gospels, Jesus takes the boy up in his arms. So I I don't know, maybe puts him in the chair next to him and then eventually has him on his lap, that kind of thing. Whatever the, however you want to draw that in your mind. I think maybe the disciples were expecting something very different. Who's the greatest? What they were thinking is point to one of us. Right? In their minds, he's going to call forth, all right, you. And then that guy would come stand in the middle and everybody else, all right, well done you. Yeah, you won the argument. It's you. It wasn't that. Perhaps, perhaps they were thinking, okay, it may not be one of us, but maybe Jesus will say, Moses, David, Daniel, you know, one of the big names from the Old Testament. Boy, they got the answer they were not looking for. This was the last thing they thought would happen. The most unlikely candidate is put forth. Why is this? This child possessed something that the disciples did not have at this moment. You know what it was? Humility. In in Matthew's gospel, we read that Jesus teaches them, unless you become humble, humble yourself as this little child, you won't enter the kingdom unless... Unless you humble yourself, you can't be the greatest in the kingdom. It it came down to humility because these men, as they're walking down the path, they're having one of these conversations, I presume. One guy makes an argument. You know, they're reasoning among themselves. I'll be the greatest because I've done more miracles. Why are you keeping count? But anyway, I've done more miracles. 
And the next guy says, oh, yeah, yeah. But remember, earlier in the chapter, they'd been sent out on a preaching tour. So they, they, in their recent memory, they have these things that they've been doing for the Lord. I did more miracles. And the next guy says, yeah, but I've preached in more cities. I've been in more towns than you. And then the next guy pipes up and says, yeah, but guys, miracles in towns is fine. I've had more converts. More people converted under my ministry than any other. And then the next guy pipes up and says, yeah, 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 that's fine. But listen, how much scripture do you know? Come on, let's have, a, let's have a memory verse competition. Let's see how many verses you know. Come on. And then the next guy pipes up and says, yeah, yeah, I mean, all of that's fine. But guys, didn't Jesus just say we have to carry a cross? I've sacrificed more than any of you. I've given up more to be in this preaching group than anybody I've left behind this. I gave up that. I have denied myself. So look at the size of my sacrifice equals how great I am. I can just see Peter, James, and John making a strong argument here. Going, oh, 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 oh. hey, you nine. You faulty nine. (laughs) You guys that were down here messing things up. Listen, we were on the holy mount. Don't you remember this? A few days ago. We got called into a special prayer meeting. We saw the glorified Jesus. We, not you, we did. So guys, come on. It's, it's down to one. We are the finalist. In heaven's got talent, we are the finalist. <laughs> it's got to be one of us. And I can see if I'm one of the nine, I'm going to say, uh, uh, Peter, and how long was your nap while you were on the Holy Mount? <laughs> Right? Because he fell asleep. He fell asleep. (laughs) The Bible says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number. What does that mean? If you're making a top 10 list, I'm not not ranking myself. It's not that kind of competition. We dare not make ourselves of the number. Or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There's a whole lot of themselves in that. They were measuring greatness by the standard of themselves. They needed greatness redefined. Jesus pulls this child into the equation and this child is not trying to prove anything to anyone. This child was not trying to prove that he's some great person worthy of praise and pomp, position, power, popularity. He is not seeking recognition. He is not trying to be the center of attention. He's not trying to become the most popular person in the room. You know what this child's claim to fame is? He's connected to Jesus. That's what made him a big deal. Look at verse 48. He said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name. That child was a follower of Jesus Christ. It's who you're connected to. You know the old saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. That child was connected to a somebody. He was a nobody connected to a somebody. You see, they... 
what's the mistake that's being made? Comparing themselves among themselves, measuring themselves by themselves. And he says, guys, this little child is a follower of me because I've been sent by the father. You see the connection. This child's connected to God through the son. That's, that's truly special. That's important. Of all the things I could teach you about this morning, and, and it's so tempting to talk about humility and how we learn that from children, and there's a lot of, I think, good preaching from that. I'm going to focus my attention just on one aspect of verse 48. I think it's the theme of verse 48. And I don't know if you want to maybe circle it, highlight it, put your finger on it. Verse 48, he said unto them, whosoever shall, what's the next word? Help me with it. Receive. Receive. That, I think that's the key to understanding what Jesus is trying to show and teach his disciples here. Receive. Whosoever, whosoever shall receive this child in my name. In Luke chapter 9, we've already been introduced to this same word. And it's going to be fresh in the disciples' minds. Look at it in verse 5. Jesus is going to send them out on the preaching tour. He says you can go from this house to that house, you know, and if somebody invites you in, stay there, let them take care of you. Verse five, and whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. So they would go to a house, knock at the door, perhaps meet a person in town and introduce themselves and say, hello, we're, we're students of this Jesus of Nazareth. Perhaps you've heard of him. We, we are disciples of this Son of God. And we've come to this town because he sent us here. We're here to preach. And, and, and we're looking for a place to stay. And, and we could use a little help. Do you perhaps know of anybody? Or could you perhaps help us? And if that person would say, you're one of Jesus' disciples? I, yeah, I, I heard him preach. I was there a couple months ago when he passed through town. I saw him preach, and man, he, he's the real deal. Yeah, I, I believe also that he is the Messiah. We'd love to help you out. And what would they do? They, that family then receives the disciples. Why? Because the disciples are powerful, popular, rich, famous. No, because they're connected to Jesus. Are you following me? Okay, so they receive him into their house, and then this family that has never met them before, that doesn't know them personally, that stands to gain nothing. The disciples cannot pay them any money. The disciples are not promising them any powerful position of authority in the group. They ask for help, and this family says, sure, we'll help you out. And they feed them a meal, and they provide water to wash their feet, and they give them a place to sleep, maybe even giving up their own bed so that this person has a place to sleep. So the disciples, my point is this, they know what it feels like to be received, that is to be taken care of, ministered to, to be served by someone else, simply because I'm connected to Jesus. Follow me now, verse 48. Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. All right, put yourself in the room for a moment. There's Jesus. There's the disciples, 12 of them. 
Undoubtedly, there's a mom and a dad somewhere in the house, others, but then there's this child. All right, now let's just think like people of the world, as far as importance go and, and what everybody has to offer to society, to the world, who's the most important person in the room? I'm talking how the world would view it. Okay. Who's the least important? That child. The child can't do much. We, we, I'm, I'm not downplaying children, you understand that. Made in the image of God, great potential, but at this present moment, the child, least important. Right? Now, what Jesus is telling them to do, he says, guys, because this child is connected to me, and I am connected to the Father, when you find out that this child is connected to me, I want you to receive that child just as if you were receiving me into your home. Just as if I had asked you to do something. If I had come to you and said, may you please help me? If this little child that has nothing to offer you, you're going to get no rewards, you're going to get no prestige, no power. Nobody's going to put your name in the newspaper for this. But this child's connected to Jesus. And you say, okay, that's a big deal then. You become a servant Right? The child is the least of all. Can we agree? Look at the end of verse 48. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Okay, so let's take the least among you all. There's that little child. There's that little child, the least among you all. And now I bow the knee and become servant to the least of all. Jesus is saying, guys, if you want to go up, you got to go down. You want to be exalted? Humble yourself and become a servant to the very least among you. You know what those families that would receive the disciples in, you know what they were doing? They were servants of the servants of the servant of the one who sent him. <laughs> Did you follow the line there? Servants of the servants of the servant of the one who sent. So here's the least among us. How can I help? I, I, I desire nothing in return. You don't even have to thank me. Moms and dads, help me here. Don't you have to teach your kids to say thank you? What is it about us as a human race? We just don't know how to instinctively go, thank you. <laughs> we have to tell our kids, hey, go, tell, go, go say thank you. Say from donkey, right? We have to teach them that. And then what do the kids do? <laughs> don't donkey. <laughs> then they, it's not that hard. It's just thank you. I mean... <laughs> It's just not built into us, right? I, I don't even need that awkward donkey. <laughs> that sounds weird when I mix English and Afrikaans there. I, I don't need an awkward donkey, but... <laughs> you Afrikaners get what I mean. <laughs> I'm not seeking anything. I just want to help. It's the greatest possible thing I can do. Peter's standing there. He's hearing this. Oh, by the way, I find this fascinating. This passage, I, I really don't have a lot more to say about it today because Jesus is going to reteach this lesson in a few months to the same people. They have the same argument a few months later, right before Jesus is going to die. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So we will recircle, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back around to this in, in due time. But the lesson he's getting through to them is, guys, if you want to be the greatest, 
then you humble yourself to be the servant to the least among you. Why? Because that person is connected to me in some way. Take your place. Uh, you can hold this. You can drop it if you like. Either way, Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to show you a passage here. I think that works perfectly with this one point I'm trying to get home to you today. I don't have the typical three-point sermon. I, I trust that's okay. I just want to get this one thought through to you. The greatest thing you can do, greatness redefined. Jesus, please tell me what it means to be great because I want to be your version of great. I don't care if the world thinks I'm great. What do you think is great? He's redefining greatness for us. He's showing us what is the greatest thing we could possibly do. Peter is there in the room. Right, let me just bring this out before we read Philippians 2, uh, yeah, chapter 2. You remember when Peter denied the Lord? Okay, that's a, that's a low point, but he moved on, resilient, and, and you remember when he, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Okay, do you remember what Jesus said after Peter claimed that he loved him? And, and, and he did, I, let me not make it sound like he didn't, he did. Do you love me? Yes. What was the first thing he told Peter to do? Feed my? No, no, not sheep. Lambs. Then he says sheep, and then he says sheep. First thing he said was, feed my lambs. Peter, don't forget, start with the little ones. If you're not willing to be a servant to the little ones, Peter, don't think that you're too big to be a servant to that little one. It's very easy when you get to a position where people are looking at you to think, oh, then those jobs are below me. I am called, as a pastor, I'm called to serve. I'm called to feed. That, that is, here I am. I, I like, gird the towel and say, here, let me bring forth the food for you. I, I, I never, we are warned as pastors not to become lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. I, I'm here to help. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give myself. Peter even the lambs, you need to serve them. If I'm going to continue to use you, don't think you're above that. Philippians 2 verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than, there's that word again, themselves. So instead of comparing or measuring my mindset is, you are better than me. But again, I make that statement carefully because you, he you might be hearing that with secular or worldly ears. When I say you are better than me, to esteem you better is to say you are worthy to be served. You are worthy of my time and effort to minister unto you. Now imagine what kind of church, what kind of city, what kind of society we would have if all of us had that mentality. How can I make your life better? How can I help you get closer to God? I don't know if there's a greater task that we could accomplish. In verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So you're not doing this so that you can get something out of it, but so that the other guy can get something out of it. Verse 5, watch it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, 
Well, you can't get any greater than that. (laughs) That's as great as it gets, yes? And that's his point. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He is one of the members of what we in the Bible call the Godhead, the Trinity. You don't get greater than that. Verse 7, first word, help me with it. What's the first word of verse 7? But. But. All right, he is as, as high as it gets. But. Made himself of no reputation. He, he didn't come to the earth trying to make sure everybody knew he was great. He didn't go around giving them some philosophical argument, here's why I'm great. You know what Jesus came to do? Serve. That's what he did. Acts chapter 10, we're studying it tonight in Bible school. Come and you'll hear it again. Jesus went about all over Israel. You know what it says he did? He went about doing good. He he just came and served. People needed truth, taught them truth. People needed healing, healed. People needed the devil cast, cast out. He came to help, came to serve. Made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a, what? Servant. Sovereign of the universe. The greatest thing he could do is put on the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. That's that's part of the lesson of the little child. You, You need to humble yourself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. What's the secret to greatness? Taking upon you the form of a servant. I think maybe you know the name D.L. Moody. How many of you have heard this name before? Dwight L. Moody? All right, about half of you. D.L. Moody, one of the most famous evangelists in the latter half of the 1800s. Perhaps you're more familiar with his Bible Institute that he started Moody Bible Institute, still exists to this day. He grew up in Boston. He only had a fifth grade education. So that's about 10 years old. He stopped going to school. When he was 17, he started looking for work. His uncle owned a shoe store, gave him a job, and said, here's the condition. If you're going to work for me, you have to go to Sunday school. He said, all right. And he went to Sunday school. His teacher's name was Edward Kimball. Mr. Kimball said there was no student that he's ever had in his classroom that showed such little potential (laughs) as Moody. Dumb as a stump and spiritually dark. He said, this guy just had nothing going on. It wasn't long after this that Brother Kimball had the privilege of leading D.L. Moody to Christ in his Sunday school class. Brother Moody, let's say D.L. Moody got saved at the age of 18, right? He was in Sunday school for a few months, got saved. Age 18, starts trying to grow and win people. By age 19, he moved to Chicago, which in America at that time, Chicago was a bustling town, but a very wicked place. He joined a church, and he wanted to do something for the Lord. But uneducated, young, 
not a, not, not a very eloquent man, what can he do? So he convinced a wealthy businessman in town, listen, would you just rent this particular building? I want to teach people in this building. The only people that Moody could, could reach out to were the poorest of the poor kids in that town. They rented him an old saloon, a bar that was no longer in use. They rented it out, and Brother Moody began gathering kids, let's call them the forgotten kids of the town. These are the street kids. He reached out to them. Immigrant kids. And one day, a man named William Reynolds visited this slum. The, the, the bar was in a slum called Little Hell. That was the name of that little part of town, Little Hell. William Reynolds wanted to see what was going on. So he went there towards the end of the, the day. The sun was going down, and he, he describes what he saw in Little Hell. Here's his own words. The first meeting I ever saw him at was in a little old shanty that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Mr. Moody had got the place to hold the meetings in at night. I went there a little late, and the first thing I saw was a man standing up with a few tallow candles around him, a few burned-down candles, holding a little black boy, trying to read to him the story of the prodigal son. And a great many words he could not pronounce, and he had to skip them. William Reynolds said this, this is his own thought, he said, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument as that for his honor and glory, it will astonish me. <laughs> he said that the hopes for God using this guy are next to nothing. After that meeting was over, D.L. Moody approached him, age 19, and he said, Mr. Reynolds, I have got only one talent. I have no education, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to do something for him. And I want you to pray for me. He started off with a handful of society's castaway kids. Within a year, Brother Moody had 650 kids in his Sunday school. 60 different volunteer teachers had to come in from churches from all over the Chicago area to man the operation, reaching out, feeding the lambs, the least among them. D.L. Moody said, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I just want to serve. So he found the very least, and he did his very best. In 1860, just before the Civil War broke out, president-elect, he had just been voted in, he had not yet been inaugurated, Abraham Lincoln visited this Sunday school just to see how tremendous it was because news had spread about this wonderful ministry. Lincoln, after he got invited, he said, I will come as long as I don't have to say anything. He showed up and D.L. Moody said, uh, now President Lincoln's going to come say something. <laughs> Lincoln had even less education than Moody. And he said, kids, listen carefully to what you hear today. I started off even less than you, and look at where I'm at today. 
Listen carefully to what you're hearing because this, in, a, in, in essence, right, not his words but mine, this can make you great. Let me finish with just this one thought. The apostles, were they not seeking great reputation, right? Which one of us is the greatest? Reputation. The greatest reputation that you can achieve is to make yourself of no reputation. That's greatness redefined, is where we lose sight of you and all we see is Jesus girded with that towel at the disciples' feet saying, I'm your master and Lord, but look at what I'm doing, serving others. Servant of all. Greatness redefined. Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The pianist will play softly. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Please, let's take a moment. Just just search your heart. You don't have to be seen. You only have to serve. way the world approaches this is let me help those that can help me get ahead let me help those that might be able to repay me in some big way that's the way the world looks at it let Jesus redefine that for you God sent his son and now his son has given us something to do the greatest thing we can now do is serve him Big or small, doesn't matter. I think this is one of the wonderful things about Christianity. It, it's upside, it's completely backwards in many ways about how the world approaches things. If you want to go up, you go down. You want to be exalted, you humble yourself. You want a crown, carry a cross. You want to be made righteous in the sight of God, admit you're not righteous. Isn't that strange? You want God to say, I declare you righteous? Then go to Him and say, I'm a sinner, filthy, defiled. But I receive Jesus Christ. I trust Him. And then God says, okay, based on Him, you're righteous. That's where you find greatness, is being connected to Him. In just a moment, I'll close in prayer. If you have questions about receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd be honored. Take a moment, we can do it privately. Just pull me aside, Pastor, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Be so happy to help. But folks, as we dismiss in prayer, might you keep this in your heart say Lord please give me something to do give me somebody to help whether it's a lamb sheep doesn't matter big or small Father
thank you for sending your son. Thank you, not only did you send him to die, but he set an example for us. Though he is Lord and Master, he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant. Lord, the idea of you washing our feet, how can that be? But Lord, that's the servant you are. Help us, Father, as we go out this week to have that definition of greatness in mind to strive for and to press towards that mark. Lord, we want to run all to be a servant of all. Thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Perhaps, Lord, if somebody here is not saved, might this be the day they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here. Tonight, 6 o'clock, if you'd like to come back for the book of Acts.